Welcome to episode 234 of the Engineering Career Coach podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. In this episode, I will be talking to Saul Rosenbaum, PE, CEM, an energy engineer and founder of The Engineering Mentor about mentorship and networking for engineers. I am your host, Jeff Perry, the new host of this podcast. I'm a mechanical and software engineer that provides engineering and software pros with professional coaching to help develop soft skills like leadership and mindset to unlock hidden potential and remove self-imposed roadblocks for career and life. I founded More Than Engineering and created a career coaching program called the Engineering Career Accelerator to bring together my love for engineering and technology with my passion for helping people improve and live more fulfilled lives. Let me tell you a little bit more about our guest today, Saul Rosenbaum. Saul is a mechanical and energy engineer who enjoys helping building owners with financially viable energy savings projects. In his early positions, he worked on large-scale energy projects where his tasks included climbing through mechanical rooms and calculating and designing the systems, construction, and project management, and running through the M and V phase. This hands-on knowledge has helped him greatly in his career as he attained a greater understanding of the projects as a whole and didn't just see the projects through the blueprints. Since then, Saul has moved more towards the management side of things, but still maintains a strong foothold on the technical side by providing oversight and general guidance to the engineering team. His current role as director at Green and Energy Services is one that involves both technical work, overseeing and guiding the engineering team as well as business and marketing to increase the revenue stream from that department. You can learn more about Saul by visiting his website, www.theengineeringmentor.com. And now let me bring you into our main segment with a quote that is applicable to today's topic. This quote is by Caroline Goshen. A lot of the magic that is behind success can be unlocked through mentorships. Mentorships are a fundamental part of the success equation. Now it's time for the main segment of this episode. Today's topic is all about mentorship and networking, and I'd like to welcome our guest, Saul Rosenbaum, founder of TheEngineeringMentor.com. Saul, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Appreciate you having me on. Saul, now before we jump into the topic for today, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about your career path and how you became so passionate about mentoring? I graduated from engineering school about 18 years ago and went directly into the energy engineering field and specifically energy efficiency. And I've stayed in that field, you know, in various capacities for my entire 18-year career thus far. To tell you the truth, I never really thought I was looking for mentors or really trying to find them, but they were just there. And I had amazing supervisors, amazing senior engineers that worked with me that really helped me along. And it was only when I looked back and I saw how much they've helped me and how many other younger engineers don't have that same experience that I really wanted to do my part in paying it forward and helping out the next generation of engineers to make sure that they have success in their careers similar to what I've had because of those mentors. 
I'm excited to talk more about this topic, and we're going to ask you a lot of questions about this and, and dive in a little bit deeper. So to start, Saul, can you just tell us a little bit more about why is mentoring really so important, and how can engineers find a good mentor that can help them? Mentors are really important because engineering school is a great foundation for your career, but engineering school itself does a really poor job of teaching you the hands-on and specifics of what you need for the job. And that's why internships are very important as well as you're moving along in engineering school. But once you get out into the actual work, you know, industry world, then you sort of need somebody to hold your hand, show you the ropes. You don't want them to spoon feed it to you, but you do need somebody to turn to for answers. On a technical level, this is really the way you're going to develop and pair yourself up with somebody who has more experience. But there's also a lot more to the engineering world than just the technical experience. And so I think that having somebody who's gone through the bureaucracy, somebody who's gone through dealing with customers, somebody who knows what to expect with a site inspection, just having them give you some of those ins and outs can really help a lot. In terms of finding a mentor, I personally have never had, you know, what people call, you know, an official mentorship where I went to somebody and said, hey, can you help me out? It was really more of an organic type of arrangement. I think that in many senses works out better because there aren't any really expectations on both sides where one person must come to the other for information and the other person is required to give that information. I think that you just got to find your mentors and don't stick to one. You can have the branch manager where you're sort of learning some ideas about general management. You have the senior engineer who's teaching you specifics about the hands-on. And then you can have, you know, even the accountant or the production people there who teach you about 401ks, which is something that everybody needs to learn from somebody as they get into industry and out of uh, the university world. So really pick them up and see whomever you can find information from, always valuable. A lot of times when we talk about mentoring, we have to kind of go back a little bit and talk about networking. So I know you talk a lot about active networking. Can you tell us a little bit more about what active networking is and what's the difference between active and passive networking? A lot of people tie networking to two things. It's networking events, which are true. That is a good place to network, but that's a very limiting view of networking. They also tie networking to the job search. So many people, they might go to that thing once a month, once every two months, and they'll talk to some other people within their industry. When they're looking for a job, all of a sudden they're really active, they're calling everybody they know. But the fact is, nobody's taking your call or listening to you when they haven't heard from you in six years and all of a sudden all you want is, hey, can I get a job? Nobody wants to hear that. Active networking doesn't mean that every single day you're calling five people, calling 10 people. It just means that you have a continuous networking, you know, agenda, I should say. And it's not that, hey, I want a job. It's me calling up and just reconnecting, talking about a project, talking about a shared experience so that the connections have been built up to some degree so that potentially in the future, if you need their help, they'll actually take your call and remember who you are and not feel like you're just using them for that purpose. Yeah, I love that. No one likes to be used. We need to be We're focused on networking and just building relationships with people and cultivating those relationships over time. And I love that focus rather than only reaching out to people when we need something out of them. 
that just isn't a, a happy thing for most people. Exactly. That's one of the reasons that I like to just expand my network on a continuous basis. I like to think of it more as you know, just something that's built up and it's a resource that could potentially be helpful in the future. So when somebody reaches out to me, I don't know how they can help me and I don't know how I can help them. But you really never know. And one of the things I've found is that, of course, somebody else in the engineering world, specifically in the energy engineering world, there's going to be some connection. But I have found that just random people will be great connections or lead to new opportunities because their son is an engineer and they put us together or because they happen to be a secretary at an engineering firm and they're able to bring you in. So just because somebody's title is not engineer or not in your, you know, quote unquote, focus markets doesn't mean you shouldn't connect with them as well and try to explore some of the opportunities there from a networking standpoint. So when talking more about networking, how can engineers really use networking in particular during tough economic times like we're experiencing right now? You have so many people in the job market looking for jobs now. So right off the bat, there's a lot of people that you're fighting for. And any way that you can set yourself apart from those people, get your foot in the door easier than somebody else is going to help you. Networking is not this golden ticket where, hey, you know somebody, boom, you have a job. Let's not kid ourselves. However, if you know somebody and you have that connection, at least you can get to the table and have a chance at the job and get that interview. One of the things I tell people is that I hate online applications. In general, I hate them because they don't get to know you. It's very easy for them to just check off a box and say, does he have this? Yes. Does he have this? No. Okay, throw it away. They don't get to see that whole picture. They don't get to see that, okay, maybe you're not as strong in one area, but you're really strong in another area. And that's the area that's harder for them to find or harder for them to train. So if you can use networking to get your foot in the door, let them see the real you, it really can get you uh, much farther ahead and put you ahead of the pack, especially when so many people are looking for jobs uh, in tough economic times. When someone does need help, if they're out of a job and looking for work or some other problem they're having, if they've built this network over time and they have these people that they know, how can someone properly approach their network connections that they have to ask for help when they need it? There's two things there. First of all, I think people have to be okay with asking for help. There's a lot of people that sort of suffer in silence and they feel maybe a little bit embarrassed that they're out of a job. Unless you were fired for some crazy offense, you shouldn't be embarrassed that you were laid off, especially during these crazy times. But one of the things I always tell uh, younger engineers, never send a connection message that says, hey, do you have any openings? Do you have any jobs? And the reason why I tell them that is, first of all, it's a little rude. It's out of nowhere. Hopefully, you had some connection with them, so it's not completely out of nowhere. But the problem with that question is that they can just write back to you, no, sorry, nothing available. And that conversation just ended, and they didn't help you at all. What I recommend is that you reach out to your contacts, tell them your situation, tell them what you're looking for and how, you know, what area of the field you'd like to find a job, and ask them for some guidance if they have any advice for you. If they have a job, great. They'll tell you about it if they think that you're a good fit. But if not, they can also still offer some guidance, maybe pass your name along to somebody else, tell you another place to look, or also tell you a related field 
that you can look into as well. So it really opens the conversation to something bigger than just a yes or no if you're asking them for a job directly. So let's pivot just a little bit and talk about a different sort of topic. So sometimes engineers and those that work with them can believe that they're not very good writers and public speakers, but how can they benefit from developing these other types of communication skills that can be useful? Some of it is a mindset shift. A lot of people have in their mind that public speaking means Tony Robbins talking in front of a thousand people. They don't even try to develop the skill because they think, hey, I'm not gonna speak in front of a thousand people. I don't need that. But I think the mind shift that I would recommend is to look at public speaking when you're interviewing, when you're talking to your management team or you're talking to your department and giving a status update. If you're walking a few investors around your company and talking to them about your technology, all of that is in a sense public speaking in that you have to clearly convey your ideas and ensure that they understand at their level what you're doing. In my mind, public speaking, written communications are really important because you can be the greatest engineer and really have a tremendous product, a tremendous uh, idea on how to proceed forward. But if you can't convey that idea to other people, you're gonna get stuck. And this is why I recommend a lot of engineers try to develop these skills further. You know, personally, I've taken Toastmasters over the years. It's a great organization that works with people on public speaking and leadership skills at all levels. So that's a great way to get better. Also, just volunteer for these things in your office because both of these skills are developed and enhanced through practice and just doing it, gritting your teeth and pushing your way through them. I'll second your recommendation of Toastmasters. I've spent time in Toastmasters as well. And just finding those opportunities to practice and grow those skills, you're never going to get better unless you try. And it's always going to be a little rocky at the beginning, but we develop these things over time, just like any skill in our lives. So that's great advice. And I think one of the things that um, makes a lot of people nervous about public speaking is they're very self-conscious of what everybody else is going to think about them. So one of the real great mindset tricks that I've used on myself and also told to other people is to really understand that the audience there wants to hear what you're saying. There's a reason they're sitting there, you know, except for a meeting where they're forced to be there. But for the most part, people want to hear what you're saying and you're going to be your biggest critic, but they are enjoying what you're saying. If you stumble on your words a little bit, if you forget where you're going, just pause, regroup, and just keep going because they want to hear what you have to say. And with that mindset, really helps you uh, focus going forward. So there's a lot of hype out there about following your passion and follow your passion and you'll never work a day in your life and, and more and more and more on passion building. But you believe that someone should stop following their passion blindly and rather focus on building skills. So can you talk more about that? I think what happens is a lot of people, you know, they see an exciting engineering career or they see where they want to go and they just jump towards that. And they don't necessarily think, what are the steps to get there? What are some of the skills that I need to build to get there? Cal Newport has a really good book called um, So Good They Can't Ignore You, where he dives into a lot of the research about this. And I certainly recommend that to your um, listeners. But what happens is 
a lot of these younger engineers, they're so focused on one specific area of engineering or one specific role that they don't look at the stepping stones of other jobs that they could take to get there and just learn the skills and build them up. Because if you can build the skills and build up that knowledge base, then you have career mobility to go wherever you want. So I'm not saying to give up on your passion and not to have that end goal, but don't blindly jump towards it because you could get put into that position and not have the skills, and then you're going to fail at it, which is a lot worse of a situation. Well, that's an interesting perspective. The other thing with that is if you're totally focused on your passion, you might just not be happy where you are. And one of the things that Newport talks about in his book, and I've seen in my own career, is that passions are developed over time. It's not something that you have to know when you're a senior in an engineering school, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Personally, I never heard of the whole world of energy efficiency when I was uh, finishing up uh, engineering school. And to some extent, I fell into it by accident. I thought the firm I was working on was more of an MEP firm, which it was, but it was under the energy efficiency umbrella. And 18 years later, I've sort of weaved my way to various roles within this world, but I love it. And I have a real passion for energy efficiency that I never had when I was in engineering school. So you also have to be open to sort of finding your passion as opposed to assuming that you need to know your passion and then go find a job within that passion. Yeah, that's great insight. And building those skills can help you discover those passions as you focus on that rather than being discontent with where you're at now, thinking that only if you are in one particular industry or working on one particular type of project that you're going to be happy. And that just makes things worse and keeps you from getting to that passion in the end, I think. So great insight there. To continue on with the idea of skill building, how can engineers use and build some non-technical skills to their benefit in the engineering world? There's a lot of overlap between certain skills. We already spoke about public speaking and writing skills like that. I think that you have to look back and see where some of your skills are not necessarily directly applicable, but where they can help from a peripheral level and be applied to your engineering work. So for example, somebody who's working on automotive design, if they were working in a mechanic shop during high school, that's gonna give them a better understanding about how the car works and some of the things that will come maybe before and after their design. I know that I personally have benefited a lot from talking to and working with maintenance professionals and really understanding okay, I designed a system, but how are you maintaining it on an annual basis, on a daily basis? The real work that goes into it, that helps your engineering work as well. So if you start to develop this sort of broader picture and see the before and after of your engineering work, that can be very useful. The other skill that a lot of engineers omit from their resume or they don't think is important are language skills. And this is a place where you can work for an international company you can work for a company that has international projects, or you can perhaps better talk to the workers on a site, specifically as a civil engineer, that can be extremely useful. So I always tell younger engineers, add these extra skills to your resume so that they could potentially apply to a job in that peripheral level. And it also ties back to networking because it's just another place where you can make a connection with somebody. Perhaps you have an uncommon language that you speak. If you're meeting with somebody and they go, where did you learn that language? That's really interesting. 
it just gives you something else to talk to them about and build that connection. So include it all and see where um, you can help that develop. As engineers move through their career, they're often thinking about and considering getting licenses and certifications. So do you think that getting licenses and certifications are worth it for engineers in their careers? There's very little downside to a license or a certification, especially you know if you have the time to study for it and it's not that costly, there's very little downside to it. Some of them have a lot of continuing education requirements, so perhaps that could be a little bit annoying, but overall, there's no downside to it. So really, what I like to look at is which ones are more important and better, more worth your time to go achieve. What I recommend is look at the engineers who are currently five to 10 years ahead of you, where they are in their careers, where you would like to be at that time, and see what licenses come up the most often, see what certifications come up the most often, and those are the ones you should prioritize. The other thing I would say to avoid is don't just pick up tons and tons of certifications and licenses, because if you have a few licenses after your name or you have some of those initials, yes, that is certainly helpful. But I've always thought it looked a little goofy when people have, you know, like that, that really long list, you know, of 17 different certifications. If you do have that many, I mean, good for you. You did get them, but I would still prioritize which ones you actually promote on a regular basis. All right, now we will transition into the Take Action Today segment of the show, where Saul will tell us the number one takeaway that we should take from today's episode that has been focused on networking and mentoring. Saul, what's the one thing that the listeners today should take away from what we've talked about so far? I think the number one thing they can take away is that networking should not be tied specifically to the job search. Networking should be more of a mentality and something that you always have in mind. You're doing a little bit of networking each day, every week. Just have a general plan to reach out to people, reconnect with people, and also make a list of people who you'd like to connect with and just start slowly going down that list. This is not an overnight type of thing. There's no quick fixes, but if you slowly build up your network, develop it over time, it'll be really powerful. And then, you know, if you got laid off tomorrow, a few years down the road, you'll have that ready for you and you won't be scrambling and you'll just be a lot more at peace uh, with your situation. That's great advice. Thanks so much, Saul. It was a pleasure speaking with you today and, and good luck in all of your many facets of work that you do. My pleasure. I appreciate you uh, having me on. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, or questions. Go to www.engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And don't forget to check out our upcoming live webinar for this month at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for those engineers looking to get hired or make a career transition in these times, I have created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors.
The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and we'll help you engineer your own success.